Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us. Tonight I got to sit down with a longtime friend who opens up about her past miscarriages as well as a newly diagnosed disorder. This episode meant so much to me to record and you'll see why. Let's jump right in. Well, I am Sam. I'm a mother of two girls. They're six and eight. I am a um, insurance representative, so I work in insurance sales and I um, have had two full-term pregnancies, five pregnancies in total. Was your most recent pregnancy, um, how recent was it? So recent. Um, actually at the end of August, I ended up, um, losing a pregnancy. So just a few weeks. How far along were you? Um, I was about eight weeks. (laughs) Sorry, my so this is busy mom life. Henley's got to go pee. Pause your YouTube and then you can use my restroom. Okay, that's okay. Um, sorry about that. So my um my most recent miscarriage was at the end of August, and I was about eight weeks. It was a really really weird situation actually. So I had um I found out that I was pregnant, and according to like my period, my body just kind of knew I think, and it's been the same with every pregnancy that I've experienced. Like. I can tell right away. So according to my period date, I think I was like three and a half weeks, like not even anywhere near being able to go to the hospital or anything, any appointments. Um, And so when I was about six weeks, no, I was about five weeks. I had my first doctor's appointment and um, they looked on like a little, like a mini ultrasound, not like a regular one, right? And I asked her, I'm like, I can't see anything in that gestational sac. Should I be worried about that? And she was like, no, you're really early. You know, that happens. Um, But that was a similar feeling to what I had with my very first miscarriage ever. And so I had um, just had like a really uneasy feeling after that. I was not feeling well about it. And I kept having this... I actually reached out to one of our old friends, Christina Blackburn, and I told her, like, because she recently had a baby, and I was like, at any point in your pregnancy, did you feel like, I just don't feel pregnant anymore, you Mm -hmm. know, and she was like, uh, I don't think so, you know, but maybe you can just go to the doctor, and you'll, you'll, everything will be fine, and everybody who I told that to kept saying, like, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, but, like, something just didn't feel right. Um, so I called my doctor and she's like, well, since you're not bleeding and it's not an emergency, we can't get you in right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can go ahead and go to like an ultrasound tech, you know, the little places that they have like 3D, 4D, baby yeah. ultrasound. Yeah. yeah. So I went to one of those and got in there kind of a little bit anxious, but like excited because everybody kept telling me like, oh, it'll be okay. It'll be Okay. So I went in there, I made the appointment thinking, okay, I'm just going to confirm what I feel, like that I'm not pregnant, right? But then when I got there, by the time that I got there, I had already changed to like, okay, I'm just going to prove myself wrong and everything is going to be okay. Uh Um, And so when I went in there, it was the same thing. There was nothing in the gestational sac. And she said, you know, um, you're far enough along right now that... The sack is measuring about eight and a half weeks, but there's nothing in there, yada, yada, yada. So, of course, I was devastated. I think um, 
this last miscarriage probably hit me harder than any miscarriage that I've had. And um, I was devastated, set up an appointment to, you know, schedule a DNC or like the pill or whatever the doctor wanted to get me. And when I went in there for that ultrasound, there was a baby in there. Nice. And it was like, I literally sat up and I looked at my doctor and I was like, is that a baby? And she's like, it is. And I'm like, but there wasn't one in there. And she's like, well, you know, you do have a pocket up here um, that looks like leaking fluid. It could have been another one, you know, so it could have been twins that one just didn't survive, but I'm still not picking up a heartbeat. So of course, then again, I'm sick to my stomach once again, but they said, let's just wait a week, come back. If there's no growth, we'll deem it, you know, um, a miscarriage. And I'm like, okay. So me and my partner, you know, the baby's father, he and I went in the next day or the next week and got the ultrasound and, you know, he's kind of looking excited while we're doing it. I mean, I could just see him staring up at the screen, not necessarily knowing what he was looking at, but I knew exactly what I was looking at. And I knew that there was no heartbeat there and that it wasn't measuring any bigger than it was last week, because I think those measurements had kind of been burnt into my brain at that point. Um, and I was silently sobbing, you know, not letting anybody really know what I was feeling. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. And then it, it whirlwinded into like a terrible thing. I needed surgery. I lost a lot of blood and it was, yeah, it was miserable. That sounds like such a roller coaster, like from being like, I really just don't feel pregnant anymore. And then going to a boutique and then they're like, eh, we're not really sure, you know? So then you go to your actual doctor and they're like, oh, there's a baby there. So it's like, holy crap. But then also we're not finding a heartbeat. So then we have to wait. Like that week of waiting had to have been so intense for you. All of it was really intense for me. Um, I think in that week of waiting, I did more research probably than I ever have on anything. And then, um, had days where I was like blaming myself because, you know, I do, I do create a lot of stress in situations that probably don't need stress. And I take antidepressants now. And I really thought all of that was a part of it. And that was like why I was losing this baby, you know? Um, and I had somebody very close to me who I can't post about publicly yet, but somebody very close to me was also pregnant and due in the same month as me. And, you know, that was really hard for me. I didn't want to like tell them like, oh, hey, I, I lost my baby because they're the same, you know, they're the same far along as me, distance as far along as me. And it was like, I didn't want to freak them out. And it was like, I was so worried about so many different things in that week that was just like so hard. It is really hard being a woman who's either pregnant or trying to get pregnant when people around you are also pregnant or trying to get pregnant. Like, um, we've been trying to get pregnant for a while now, and today I got a negative pregnancy test, and so I just had, like, a really rough day, but it's hard to tell that to my friends that have either a pregnancy currently or, like, just had a baby or something, because it feels like you're almost, like, stealing their... Mm -hmm. They're like positivity, you know, like you're going through this really hard traumatic thing, but you don't want to bring anybody else down yeah. stuff. You know, it's really hard. When I worked at the urgent care, we had a girl, there were like three of us pregnant at the same time. And I was the first one. 
I was the furthest along. There was a girl that had gotten pregnant and she was really excited. She went and got an ultrasound and the sack was like blurry on the sonogram. And she's like, you know, it just feels really weird, all this stuff. And I had gone through something similar when I got a ultrasound too, where it was like, it didn't look right, but everything I knew was healthy because I had just gotten, I'd just gone to the doctor. Everything was yeah. measured great. So I told her, I was like, don't even worry about it. Like I got the same sort of thing. I'm perfectly healthy. The baby's great. So your pregnancy is going to be just fine. Yeah. And then she ended up losing it, unfortunately. And then it was hard to be pregnant around her. Yeah. I felt like I was like rubbing it in her face. So it's hard as a woman when you're in that spot of trying to conceive or being pregnant and being around other women in that same path. Yeah. And I think a lot of times um, as women, we are so quick to um, need support from other women or even offer support for other women in a situation that we know is a positive one, right? It's so much easier for us to say, oh, everything's going to be okay. I went through that as well. And I personally can tell you like in a situation like that, well, there is something to worry about. However, you don't really see us saying things like that. And I don't, I don't necessarily love that about us as a group. (laughs) Um, But I want to be able to say that to people, you know, I want to be able to say like, you know, this could, this could be a sad situation, but that doesn't mean it has to be like a sad life, you know? Um, and so I want to be able to support people, women in this situation, good or bad, you know, it's hard not to give a woman like false hope and be like, oh yeah, everything's going to be fine. But then you also don't want to be like, oh yeah, that, that could mean something really bad. You know, like it's a really fine line to walk to be, positive and try to get your friend to stay positive and feel supported but then to be like realistic about the situation yeah and my aunt my aunt Janae actually when I called her and told her about uh, my miscarriage I um you know I told her I'm like it's it's crazy because I know I'm not alone like I have the best support system in the whole world but I feel really lonely you know in this and she had said you know one thing that she wanted to offer me was to not only give me that positivity through pregnancy, but also stand by me like in the loss in that pregnancy. And, you know, if I wanted to share my sadness, just as I would share my happiness, if everything was fine, that I could come to her with that. And that was something that really changed my outlook on it. Like I should be able to share my sadness and it not be the worst thing in the world, you know? And that's kind of, that reminds me of women that like, they don't want to give the news or announce it or anything until they're in the second trimester, right? Because it's so common to lose the baby. Unfortunately, I hate even saying (laughs) the word common, but people are like, oh yeah, I don't want to announce it. I don't want to tell anybody because I'm so afraid if I lose it, then I'm going to have people around me asking about the baby or whatever. And I think it's important that we sort of, not that that's not important, but we need to sort of like shift the narrative a little bit that when you lose a child like that, you need more people in your life surrounding people to pick you up and tell you it's going to be okay and all that stuff. Like, it's great to have people around you when your pregnancy is great, you know, when it's all rainbows and butterflies. But when you're having to pick yourself off the bathroom floor because you're sobbing and you just don't feel like you can get up, that's when you need those people that are like, hey, we got you. Yeah, definitely. How did your relationship um cope after that you were saying that he looks kind of hopeful and a little excited to see yeah um so just a little backstory on the relationship before I guess we jump into that we had 
um, we had started dating in like December, I believe of 2019. Um, but we had broken up actually in April. Right. But in June, (laughs) we, I mean, we never, we've never been like officially done. He and I, um, I have all the love in the world for him. He's my best friend really. But, um, in June we ended up getting pregnant and I think it was very important for us to not just immediately jump back into the boyfriend and girlfriend title. Um, I wasn't living with him at that point deep down, I knew, you know, pregnancy could go wrong anyways. And why am I going to force a relationship if that's what it is? You know, we were doing really great at being friends when we um, got pregnant. After that, um, I think it did struggle for a minute because I am such an emotionally expressive person. That's something that I have really taken pride in throughout my whole life. You know, you know what I'm feeling, if I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I'm mad, and I can put things into words better than a lot of people. And he cannot, you know, he is, um, he's, I would say numbed to a lot of emotion due to things that he's experienced in life. And, um, I wanted more of a reaction from him, you know, and I would call him and I would be uncontrollably sobbing because I was so sad. Like I allowed myself to get so excited so early in this pregnancy. And then, um, it was all just like yanked away. And so I thought, you know, I think naturally at first I thought he needs to be on the same emotional level as I am. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't. Um, but I had to learn that that's not a bad thing, you know, and that he, expresses himself differently and he was still here for me and listening to me and his form of hey I'm here for you is kind of like hey you know what can I do to make you laugh like he'll send me memes or he'll play a video game with me or you know he even just asked me like where's your head at right now and that was something that was like so important because I wasn't doing any of those things I wasn't being happy in those moments and I have other kids that I have to parent you know and one day, like, I sat down, and I just really, really thought about it, and I I thought to myself, like, Michael can't be as sad as me, right? Because he doesn't know the love of being a parent yet, right? And so my first two miscarriages, they were hard, and they were devastating. However, it wasn't until my third miscarriage, when I've already, already had two beautiful children that I get to spend every day with, that I knew how great it was, you yeah. know? So I knew what I was losing, And there's nothing else that's like comparable to that in the world. I mean, knowing what I have and what was right in front of me and I just missed it is it was very difficult for me. But since then, you know, um, I've learned that he does feel things about it and he just doesn't express them the same way as I do. And he is sad. And, you know, we talk occasionally like well, let's just have another one. Let's try again. Like, not that we were trying the first time, but like, maybe let's not try again and -hmm. just have it happen again. But I'm also scared to like go through the things that I had to go through. Were you on an antidepressant prior to being pregnant? I had gotten on my antidepressant probably like two and a half weeks before I found out that I was pregnant. Okay. So it had just kind of started getting into your system. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it helped you after the fact? Yeah, I definitely feel like it helped me after the fact because 
Uh, my depression was so severe prior to even getting pregnant that there was no way without that antidepressant I could have processed this in a healthy way. And um, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm crying, but I, I don't feel like I'm dying. And that had to have been because of the medicine, because I know that I should, I don't want to say I should have felt like I was dying, but normal me, you know, me before medication would have felt that way. You know, I wouldn't have been able to get out of bed and I wouldn't have been able to tell anybody about it or do anything, you know? So I definitely think it helped. How do you feel um, as far as emotionally healing from this one as compared to your first two? Aside um, from being older and wiser and knowing the things you know now. Yeah. Um, I feel like the healing process is a lot different. Um, and I, I do think a lot of that is because I've, I've learned myself emotionally now, <clears throat> you know, back. So my first miscarriage, I was a senior in high school. That was mostly, I don't even want to say this cause it sounds so bad, but it was mostly sad because of the, the looks I got, right? Like the attention that came from having a miscarriage in high school. And then my second one was shortly after that, um, like a year and a half after that. Um, and those were sad mostly because I was talked about, you know? <clears throat> so healing from those ones was more like healing from embarrassment, I guess. This is more like healing from shame because I felt like it was my fault. And, um, surprisingly that's like a lot easier I mean now I have you know I have a therapist and I take medication and it's like I'm a whole different person so the healing process has been very good now don't get me wrong I I mean I'm heartbroken still I still cry all the time about it it's still something that like affects me because I wanted it I didn't want it until I wanted it so badly you know what I mean and so it's been, it's been pretty difficult, but I feel like the healing process is a lot different. It's a lot healthier, I should say. Do you feel like, um, just to touch on what you talked about being your senior year and feeling like a lot of people, like a lot of eyes were on you, mm -hmm. um, you and I come from the same small town and I feel like anybody who knows that town knows how that town is. Yeah. <laughs> I will be the first one to defend Tonopah. I absolutely love Tonopah with my whole heart, but there is that small town quality of, talking and just having that gossip and that rumor mill going do you feel like aside from your age and being young so obviously you have the teenagers that are talking and do what <laughs> teenagers do but being in the area that you are now where you don't have people that have known you since kindergarten and only have, <laughs> right. only have like one Sam to go off of you know they know a different Sam do yeah. you feel like that's made a difference for you also in the healing Oh, for sure. Um, I think the simple fact that there was no rumors about this one had me feeling a lot better. Um, and the support system I have here, like you just said, I mean, I love Tonopah. I love my family there. I love my friends from there. Um, but they come up with their own things, you know. And out here with my friends here, my two best friends are everything to me. I love them so much. And the support that came from them was just so pure and so, so, so organic. And it was never a question on if it was really a miscarriage, you know, cause that was a big rumor in high school. Like it was actually an abortion and which it wasn't. And that hurt me too. But like having, you know, somebody here who just knows me for me 
and knows, you know, my love and my, like the, I didn't have to explain myself to anybody. You know what I mean? And that felt really good. You were allowed to just be sad because of your loss and not have to try to defend it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I remember in high school, um, when I found out that I was pregnant, I didn't tell anybody right away, but when I did start telling people, I was very excited and I was like showing pretty like early because I was so skinny in high school. And to think I thought I was fat, was so crazy, but (laughs) um, I was showing pretty early and I got like super excited. And I remember, I think it was Tyler Johnson, like walking down the hallway and was like, you know, um, are you coming out to 93 tonight? And I'm like, no, I can't. And had, I, it was like my first time I got to say it out loud and be excited about it because, you know, there was so much shame that came with being a pregnant teen or whatever. And um, I was so happy about that. And then we went for our first ultrasound and my brother Bud came with us, me and my high school boyfriend. And um, it was a miscarriage and it was obvious like right there on the ultrasound. And you know, if you remember correctly, my mom had just had some babies before that. So I knew what <laughs> ultrasounds looked like. And I knew before she even said it. And it was just so sad. And I remember having to come to school because I was still in cheer. And they gave me this medicine after my DNC. And it made me so sick. And, you know, Coach Mac um, knew the background of what was going on. And he supported me and he was like, you know, go to the bathroom, be gone as long as you want. I could have you be in my class all day if you need to. And somehow it, all of it got out. And the fact that I was taking the medicine for it somehow turned into, oh, that's the abortion pill. And she had an abortion. And, you know, I was so sad that people would even think that, you know, I'm so pro-choice, but like to think that about me, I was sad, you know, like I, I'm a really good big sister. I love babies and, you know, I would have made my life work around it, but people were like saying mean things about me. And like, you know, if you remember my high school relationship, it was what I thought I was going to live in for the rest of my life. (laughs) Uh, That makes me sad too, because it makes you wonder who in your close circle would have flipped flipped the facts you know because like you were saying you had kind of kept it to yourself you weren't really telling a whole lot of people so who was it that was close to you and knew ended up starting that about you and that's really detrimental to somebody who's in high school and going through such a a traumatic and an impactful event and god bless coach mac for having your back on that the fact that a teacher was willing to be like hey take your time to cope with this do what you need to do was that just that's a whole other side to coach Mac that I did not know yeah and I think that um played a big part in me being okay because a lot of other adults had a lot of negative things to say about me you know and um I just feel like if it were one of my kids I would hope you know that they had another adult figure that made them feel okay in that moment because not a lot of people did make me feel okay yeah yeah well and it's high school too it's not like you can just you're not an adult going through a DNC where you can call into work and be like, yo, I'm going through right. this. I'm going to need a couple of days. You still have to go to school. Like right. that would have made it worse if you were just out. <laughs> right. And I'm pretty sure like normalcy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like up until that point, I had a lot of truancies as well. So like I couldn't just like miss school. Well, I can tell you as a fact, since I was probably with you for some of those truancies, you <laughs> indeed did. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So it was like a lot. And, you know, and I think in, in those moments in my life, like when I look back on it, just touching base on like the depression and things like that, when I look back, I know that I was depressed then too. I know that I was going through it. I was, um, a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which causes extreme depression, you know, and I really just think back on how I acted and like, I was so crazy and I was so emotional and, um, all my ex-boyfriends are going to love to hear that. (laughs) But, um, I, you know, I was, I, there was, I was not balanced, you know what I mean? And I just think that had I been balanced or had I been aware of like what was normal and what was not normal as far as like emotional stability goes, that I could have processed those a little bit differently. However, I will say that the pain is totally different once you have children. So I actually didn't know that you had been given that news. Do you want to go into that a little bit? How, how that's affected you? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's affected me in a lot of different ways. So, I mean, when I first realized that there was something really off, I I think Marley was probably two and Henley was, you know, six months and Marley had touched something that she wasn't supposed to touch. And I lost my mind on her. Then I immediately stayed in the bed for the next like five days because it depressed me that she was so cute. And I lost my shit on her like that. And, um, I, (coughs) excuse me, so sorry. Um, and I knew like something was off. Right. So I just, I was like, okay, I can handle it myself. I'm going to, I'm going to change myself, whatever. And it wasn't until I came to Tennessee and decided to get a divorce that I, that I was like, okay, like something's not okay. You know, like, um, I'm really sad. I'm really depressed and all this. And I knew that I wanted more out of life than I, I'm, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Um, it's like all a lot, you know, it's hard now to think back into that mindset that I was in because I've, I'm not in it anymore. Does that make sense? So it's like, it's really difficult for me to think back and like know exactly what this diagnosis has done for me. I mean, I can tell you (laughs) that in this relationship that I'm in currently, like, the diagnosis has made a big difference because I'm like, no, I really want to keep this. I don't want to be toxic. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be sad. And that's end up, ended up being why I got on medication, which is totally normal for people with BPD, you know? Um, but I think I, for so many years, I took that as like, okay, there's something wrong with me. And this is just who I am. And I have to accept that there's something wrong with me. And now I don't feel that way. I don't feel like there's anything wrong with me. I feel like I'm a little bit different than some people because a lot of people have BPD. Um, A lot of people have depression. So I'm a little bit different than some people. And it's not who I am. And people don't have to take me at that value. And I don't have to take myself at that value. Um, So I think over the years, you know, that diagnosis has meant different things to me. But right now, that's where I'm at. I really love um, that rather than letting this diagnosis like define you or be like, oh, this makes me more different than other people, you changed it to mean like, this makes me more normal. Like now I know I'm not crazy. People don't have to call me crazy. I know now where these emotions or these thoughts stem from. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And I love that you're kind of changing the, the stigma surrounding the BPD. Yeah. 
Definitely. I think um, people are so shocked when they hear that about me too, because as you know, I've always been like giddy and hyper and happy and, you know, all these things, which is still who I am. And it's always been who I am. It's just that like, I have an evil twin, you know, and like, I'm that person too. And so a lot of people don't get to see that side of me because of course I'm not going to go around boasting about yeah, the fact that I, yeah, like, yeah, I lay on my floor and wish I was dead sometimes. And <laughs> then I jump up and immediately eat a pint of ice cream, you know, like I don't tell people all of these things. Um, and I am very funny, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm depressed and that's just part of me too. And so I think, um, I, I carried this persona like, okay, people can't see sad Sam. People can't see depressed Sam. And, you know, over the years, just slowly or like more slowly and more slowly, I, I've posted a little bit more. I've opened up a little bit more. You know, I even felt shame kind of in telling my parents like, hey, there, you know, I have this imbalance in me that makes me this way because when I was a kid, you know, I was overly emotional and me and my mom would go at it because of that. Um, and it's like, Hey, now there's an ex example and I didn't want it to be an excuse, mm -hmm. you know? And I think so for so long, I thought, okay, if I tell somebody, you know, like if I tell my ex-husband, like, Hey, I was this crazy because I have BPD, it's going to come off as an excuse. And it's not, that's just who I am as well as the other person. Um, and I've just had to learn to manage it and be okay. I yeah, I want to go back to what you said um, about not feeling like you could really broadcast it to people. Like you can't, you felt like you couldn't tell anybody about the diagnosis. They couldn't see that side of Sam or know that side of Sam or know this about you. And I had told you this when we were talking about doing this episode to begin with, is I feel like you're like Robin Williams. And I almost feel like, not that I know him personally, <laughs> but I don't, um, but I feel like he probably felt similar like he was a comedian people only knew this one side of him as happy robin funny robin doing his thing people have a image of sam too sam is funny sam's a party girl sam's fun she's very upbeat and positive and um i feel like that's sad that people like you like because you have a positive connotation with people that you can't ever show the negative yeah because then they'll have a different image. And I feel like Robin Williams probably felt similar to that too. And that's sad that yeah. he, he didn't get the support that he needed or the help because he wasn't allowed to show that side of him. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because when, when you do have the other side to you, right. When, when you get both sides, the happy and the miserable all in one person and you show the wrong side to certain people, you immediately are labeled as fake, right? Or like, she must be on her period or she must not be as happy as she thinks or she portray, portrays herself to be and things like that. And it's like, never do I ever want to be labeled as anything other than authentic because I, that, I am that person. I'm an authentic person. I'm authentically happy, but I'm also authentically sad, you know? And I just, I didn't want to be labeled as unauthentic or, you know, having people think, oh, you know, she's chasing like clout or whatever, you know, because I'm not, I don't want people to think differently of me because I have depression or borderline personality or whatever, you know? Um, 
and that was a really tough spot to get out of because even I mean like Megan you know my lifelong best friend my sister didn't even know that I was like as deep into depression as I was I had to like you know how uncomfortable it was to like tell her that because she's my sister you know Mm -hmm. and it's just like I knew she wouldn't think I was fake or anything but it's almost like you have to wonder like if Megan told me that I think I would even wonder like is she though or is it just a moment you know what I mean or is it true yeah because I've known her for 28 years and you know we are each other's ride or die so like I would I would have known these things and I think a lot of people feel that way about me you know like oh I'm I'm close with almost everybody that I'm friends with you know and like you know you could call me I could call you if we ever needed each other being across the country from each other and our conversations have never been any different than they were 10 years ago you know and so I'm really close with people so it's like oh, I didn't know that about you. And it's, you know, I just don't like people to think differently of me. Right. That makes sense. Um, how did you get to the point where they gave you this diagnosis? Like what sort of things did you, were you asked about or what sort of like symptoms or side effects or how did they re- like, how did they get to BPD? So I actually was researching at first, right? Um, just little symptoms that I would have in my relationships and I would look back as far as high school relationships my marriage you know current relationships anything um I I looked at everything friendships as well you know and my constant like need to know every detail about everything right my constant need to like hey do you hey do you love me even though I should know that you know what I'm saying um Chad married me (laughs) and I would still like ask him like do you want to be here? Do you love me? You know, and I, I would get like moments of rage over little shit that would just like, I mean, rage full blown, like from my toes to my head, a hundred plus degrees. And I was just angry and I'd lose it. I, it was just like a lot. And I Googled it. Um, like symptoms and borderline personality came up because I think at first I thought that I had like explosive something disorder because I would like explode, you know, but that didn't explain all my other emotions that I was feeling like the fact that I would go into these depressions where I wouldn't leave my bed and like there would be food everywhere and diapers everywhere and things like that that um, weren't explained by the other symptom or, you know, the other disorders that I was looking at. And so I had told a doctor about it um, and I was just like, this is kind of what I think. So they, they ran some tests on me. They asked me questions and um, I had to do like a personality test and some therapy sessions, which was always so uncomfortable for me and because I don't like to be anything other than happy. So it's like hard to go into those sessions, you know, Um, and you don't always catch your sessions when you're in the middle of a depression. So you go in there and you're like, oh, I'm fine. But I think that that's where they noticed, you know, like, okay, she's very off the wall. (laughs) Yeah, highs and lows. And then that was my life. I mean, it was a roller coaster. Every single thing in my life, every relationship, whether, you know, it was my mom or my dad or uh, my boyfriends or whatever, everything was like a high and a low, right? Me and Sal in high school, it would be like, we loved each other. We were going to San Diego every weekend and then we would plummet and we would be seeing other people and we hated each other and we were screaming at each other and we couldn't stop crying for each other. And then we would be 
back up at the top and living our best lives. And um, my whole life has been that way, you know? I mean, and you worked with Chad. There was a time, and I don't even know if you know this, um, there was a time, I've, I mean, and I've known you my whole life. This was so crazy. I trust you with everything in my soul, but I was suspicious of you because I that BPD in me makes me insecure. And I'm like the most secure person you'll ever meet. So it's like, it's weird, you know? Yeah. So I didn't know that, but it makes sense. And I'll tell you why is because I was one of only two people that worked on crew in the security department. You were not the only spouse, girlfriend that was suspicious. And it was so weird because I was going through the roller coasters with Chase that other men did not even, were not even on my radar. Yeah. Chat is freaking cool because he would bring in his mini iPad, <laughs> his little handy dandy magnetic com- uh, keyboard, and we would just like watch movies and stuff in our downtime. Like he was, he was like a bro, you know. Yeah. But and he is like the best person ever. He truly yeah. is, and very, I can see very it. Very genuine. Yeah. Um, and he would always. I am like so obsessed with country music. So the fact that he worked with Easton, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with the details. Like, tell me who else you've met. Oh, you've <laughs> met Reba. Like you've done this. Oh my gosh. Tell me more. I was not even like obsessed with Chad, but obsessed with like his, his life, his, in, yeah, his experience, yeah. you know, I was just like, oh my gosh, tell me more. Um, It's but, easy to become infatuated with. That's for sure. For sure. He just has this very rock star life. Yeah, super cool to listen to, especially growing up where we have where, you know, it's exciting that we got an A&W in town. <laughs> right. um, but we also worked with Daniel. Daniel was great. Daniel was a bro. Daniel and I could hang out all the time and there would have never been a trust thing ever. Yeah. But his girlfriend at the time also, I think, got some some suspicious things. And I'll tell you right freaking now, if a female started working out at the power plant with Bobby, I would feel the exact same way. We're married, (laughs) we have a child, we're trying to have more children. I know that man loves me, but don't let there be another set of tits around my husband or I'm going to, I'm going to start giving a side eye. Yeah. And I was (laughs) really petty as that sounds. Every woman I think is like, "Mm," because we know how other women are. It's not that we don't trust our men. It's that we don't trust other females because we know how the bad ones are. And guys, they're like always like, no, they're just nice. Like I was nice before too. I know exactly what that means. (laughs) Nice bro. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, and that was something that I took to an extreme, I think was, I mean, oh God, you remember when I was 18, he moved me to Nashville before we had moved back to Nevada. He went on a run and first thing I did was got on his computer and read all these, I was hurting my own feelings. And that was something that I, that BPD is, it's self-sabotage, right? I'm going to make myself sad long before you can ever make me sad because I don't want you to make me sad. I, you know, I don't want to find out or not know. I'm like, I want to know every detail about everything. If you were my partner, and you came to me and you said, hey, I slept with somebody else. I would want to know everything. What positions? Were your eyes open? Did you kiss? <laughs> like, was there music playing? You know, like, I want to know everything. Every single detail. And that is something that I've had to get over and something I've had to overcome. Because I don't need every detail. I actually am better without them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? when you get the details of something that you that is hurtful to you, such as like the scenario I just said, if I were to tell you the positions, my eyes were closed because I'm weird. And <laughs> there was music playing. I like Mariah Carey. That kind of thing. Does that make you feel better? Like, or after, are you like, God, I really didn't want to know that, you know? You know it, it does give me some sense of closure, but, <laughs> but I'm such, I'm such a basket case anyways, that the, the closure is like the reality, but I'm still like, okay, but what's the potential? <laughs> like, I know that the reality was that you just fell in love with this other person, but the potential is you could be in love with me still too. You know what I'm saying? And I look at that more than the reality. And that's a big part of it. Um, but I am, I'm healing through it all. I'm actually doing so good. Um, I still have moments, you know, I didn't take my medicine for three days and, um, today I was feeling the effects of it. And I, one thing I'll tell you that me and Michael do, it's super cheesy, but like a safe word, you know, (laughs) and not in a kinky way. Um, that would be nice also, though, if he's if he's going to listen to this. I hope he hears that. No. <laughs> um, I He doesn't like to explain himself, right? Like, over and over. Because it doesn't make him feel confident in my feelings for him. Mm-hmm. But my feelings are never confident for somebody's feelings for me. Never. Um, and I hate that about myself. But, you know, I... I told him, like, let's come up with a safe word or a safe phrase or something like when I'm questioning you, right, and I'm doing all the things that you hate, say, I love you anyway, right? You're going to you're gonna doubt me and you're not going to think I'm here, but I love you anyway. And that's just his way of, like, calming my nerves and making me feel like, okay, like, he is here and I'm not questioning it. And then anytime I... Um, want to ask him a question or I'm feeling some type of way and I don't, you know, and I don't want to get on his nerves or that sounds so bad, but like, you know, I don't want to make him feel like I'm doubting us instead of asking the question. I just throw up a high five (laughs) and he knows like, okay, she's made progress in this. And then when he says his safe phrase, I know that, you know, he's made progress in coping with who I am too, because that was a lot for somebody who, is so emotionless to take on is somebody who not only is extremely expressive, but bounces around every now and then from how she feels, you know? And it says a lot that he's willing to meet you halfway, knowing that you need that reassurance. Yeah. Do you feel like you need the reassurance because of BPD or do you feel like you need it because you don't feel worthy of the love that you're getting? I feel like it's a lot of everything. Um, I feel like it's a lot of everything. I think I've been through a lot, you know, and I think in my life I've constantly, without getting into too many details, I've constantly wondered, like, why wasn't I enough? And why, why wasn't I good enough? Or damn, so that whole time you were pretending or, you know, and I I live in like that constant fear. So not only has it happened to me in real life, but my BPD hits me like, no, like, it's really going to happen to you because you're not shit, you know, like, you suck, (laughs) and I know I don't suck, like, when I think about it in my logical mind, like, I know I'm phenomenal, and, like, that is something that I pride myself in, I think every woman and man should feel like I am phenomenal, I might not be the type of phenomenal you like, but I am phenomenal, and I'm great, but my mental gets in my way sometimes of that. And my friends, they tell me all the time, you know, like, Sam, you are 
the biggest preacher when it comes to love yourself, get the love you deserve, be treated the exact same way you should be. But like you think that you're not worthy of those things as well. And I don't know how to change that yet. I'm still working on it. But I do know that BPD plays a big part as well as like my past and like past emotional traumas. The stuff that you have to talk yourself out of thinking and have to like rewire the way that you feel about yourself, the way that you love yourself sounds exhausting. Mm -hmm. Do you have, do you feel tired all the time? Like having to battle the negativity or have to convince yourself that you do love yourself, that you think that you're great. Do you just feel fatigued all the time? Um, I wouldn't say fatigued all the time, but I do have, um, moments where it's like, it all catches up to me that I've been working so hard on it. Um, and I tell people this all the time. It's an active daily choice. It's something that I have to choose to do actively. Um, not sit there like, okay, if Michael, let's say he doesn't text me back for five minutes, old Sam would be like, where the fuck are you? (laughs) And new Sam has to be like, I mean, don't think like that. It could be something positive, you know? And I, I listened to yours and Kendra's, um, podcast and I I remember her saying you know she'd be driving I might have been you um you'll be driving and you just picture yourself ramming into a median right to not think like that that's me that's my life I picture myself metaphorically running into a median in my life all the time and so I have to make an active daily choice not to do that and it, it does get exhausting um but it's becoming more normal for me it's becoming more normal for me it feels like a lot of weight has been lifted, but it's still, it's still there. <laughs> um, how do you plan on talking to your girls about this as they get older or have you, know, you already? I am so open with my kids about literally everything. Um, they knew about the pregnancy. They knew about the miscarriage. They knew that, you know, Michael and I weren't necessarily together when it happened and that, you know, if the baby was healthy, it wasn't something that, meant we needed to be together for, you know, um, they know that I'm on medicine for depression because my kids have seen me, unfortunately, my kids have seen me in a position where, um, I've lost relationships or I've lost jobs or, you know, um, anything they've, they've watched me go through it all. My kids have really, truly grown with me through every stage of my life since I was a teenager, you know, I was 20 when I had Marley. So they they're really aware and I Henley unfortunately for her I think is a little bit more like me than I wish she was because you know I think she's going to struggle with a lot of the same things that I struggle with mentally but you know I'm very big on letting them know like everybody's brain just works a little bit differently you know um everybody's heart works a little bit differently and we all have to manage things differently you know Marley is very like not lovey (laughs) she has like her own little love language you know she talk crap to you and that's how she tells you she loves you and if she's feeling something she doesn't necessarily want to express it and that's totally fine and Henley's a lot like me um and I've explained to Mars you know like hey you can't be mad when your sister wants to express her feelings because that is how she does that you express it by other ways and this is how she does it and you know Henley you can't pressure her to express herself the same way and they they're so they're so 
used to it that I don't think that they ever question anything. I mean, literally the other day, Marley said, can we listen to Driver License by Olivia Rodrigo? Because Olivia Rodrigo is everybody's favorite right now if you're under the age of 12. And I was like, no, that's such a depressing song. And it's so normal to her that she literally was like, you're depressed all the time. So can we listen to it? <laughs> like, and you know, I know she didn't mean it in like a hateful asshole way, but like, she's not wrong. You know, I am depressed all the time and they know that and they'll give me my medicine when I need it. And they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool about it. And I think that their coolness and like them, who they are as people is why I am like, I could definitely have more children. For sure. Yeah. And you're a great mom. And I really love that you're having mature conversations with your kids. I like, and just like when I talked with Kendra, how she was saying that, um, you know, unfortunately Layla has had to see these like really detrimental moments of Kendra's, um, low points of mental health, but she's gotten to see the really like great changes and stuff too. And it's really important for our generation to kind of break that, um, generational curse of, burying our feelings I don't want to be the barrier feelings generation you know right had listened to the episode where we talked about my mom and how she she just killed it at parenting and um she texted me and she's like you know it made me cry because as low of a spot as I was in I'm glad that you didn't see anything other than like me being happy and me being a good mom yeah kind of stuff so I'm just like oh my gosh like my mom dealt with all that stuff and just buried it and I didn't know until I was almost an adult or probably even an adult that she yeah. was really going through the weeds and I don't want Jameson to to not know my whole self I want yeah. Jameson to know you know when mommy needs a day in bed because she's feeling a little sad that's okay and it's okay if you do it too mm-hmm. sometimes we just need a day to be sad because that's our body telling us like it's time for a break man we yeah. rest on this for a little bit we're going to take a time out and then we'll come back better but because I do deal with depression and things I don't want to I don't want to just bury it and Jameson not know yeah and you know it's I don't think we I, for one you're right your mom absolutely killed the parenting game I've always loved all of her children and her she's so great but we don't know what our parents go through and you know, there's times that I've wondered, like, did my parents feel this exact way that I'm feeling in this moment and not have the support that I have? Like, and it, it makes me emotional. So I'm sorry if I get choked up, but Marley, Henley's getting there. She's, she's so young in her mind and I love that. And I hope she keeps that forever. But Marley is very mature emotionally and every other way. <laughs> and um, she ha- is my support system, you know? there's been times where she's come in and I just wasn't able to stop crying. I wasn't able to dry up the tears and I wasn't able to be quote unquote, that strong mom that your kids need. And that was okay because she was strong for me in those moments. You know, she's told me that she'll be there for me. When I told her flat out, like me being pregnant doesn't mean that me and Michael are going to be together. She said, well, that's okay. I could be in the hospital with you when you have the baby. Like she is my rock and it's not I know that it's not her job to be but I'm glad that she understands you know that hey like I don't have to be mad at my mom or you know like you know for feeling these ways I remember being a kid um we lived in the Tonopah apartments and me and Bud were outside one time for hours right because my mom was sleeping so hard that she wouldn't answer the door 
And I just thought like there were times when I couldn't get up to answer my bedroom door for my kids. And I thought like, is this what my mom was going through? And like, we don't, she never expressed that to me. You know, my mom never said to me, like, I was so sad that I couldn't wake up, you know, or that I didn't want to wake up. And still to this day, my mom likes to pretend like she's so rock hard and tough. And I know like, you know, she's not and that she goes through shit because I'm a mom and I go through shit, you know, and sometimes being a mom makes that stuff harder to go through. And we always have to put on this brave face and this fake smile. And we don't have to, we don't have to do that. I mean, I was really like with this last miscarriage, like I'm in the hospital, you know, I'm, it was like miserable. And I didn't have to one time put on a brave face for my kids. You know, they knew that it was okay that I was calling them and crying and saying like, I miss you guys and I'm going to go into surgery now and I'm going to be okay. And everything's going to be fine, you know? And like, but if it's not, it's okay, you know? And they, I'm, I'm so glad that I don't have to hide those things from my kids and that I don't have to tiptoe around them because hopefully they, hopefully it balances them out emotionally. Just seeing me like, you know. Yeah. I think your kids will be better for it because when they become moms of their own, um, or even if they don't, that's perfectly fine too. But if they go through bouts of depression or when shit's just not, adding up the world is not so bright for the day or whatever that they know that that's normal mom went through it she's just fine you know this is a normal thing sometimes it just happens yeah and I think it's important for us to teach our kids you know both girls and boys that um we oftentimes we say things like you know well my mom could do it anybody could do it but like I want my kids to know that like I couldn't always do it Mm -hmm. you know and that's okay. I, we went through everything that I, I'm, I shit you not Savannah as a parent, I have gone through everything that I could have gone through being homeless, being married to a drug addict, you know, divorced, like my kid being diagnosed with what they thought was cancer at first. Like I've been through everything that you can be through as a parent and never one time did I have to hide it from my children. I want my kids to say, just like Michael says, I love you anyway. I want my kids to say like, and she was cool anyway. Like she got through it anyway. And Mm. not just like, I don't want them to think that I'm this superhero that made everything happen and dreams came true. And I didn't struggle through it because I have struggled and it has been hard and it has been sometimes so bad that like, I didn't want to be a mom, you know? And I, I want my kids to know that that is normal. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm different but I'm normal. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, like, you don't want your kids to just think like you're just some superhero who, you know, just goes through life. Nothing really touches you. You're just great. I think your kids will have more respect for you as they grow up and they start going through hard shit of their own. Remembering that you went through all this stuff, the really hard days and you were still there for your kids and you still made this happen and you still, you know, kept a household going and all that stuff that shouldn't make them think that you're more badass because okay. now they know the, you know, the depth of shit you had to do and go through and yeah you know, the holes you had to dig yourself out of. Man, I hope they think I'm badass right now. They just think I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the crazy kid. She tells, she tells people I'm kind of cool. So I don't know what I feel about it, honestly. 
Well, Jameson's only one, and I think he probably thinks I'm pretty weird, too. All I do all day, especially now that we're, like, trying to conceive, and I'm going through all the emotions of, like, maybe I won't have any more, and just sad some days. Not, yeah, yeah just sad. Um, all day, I'll just be like, I love you, bud. I love you. And I'm just kissing all over him, and I just, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he's probably like, woman? get a grip. <laughs> you know what? But it's going to be so good because he's going to, he's going to be willing to express that. You know yeah. what I mean? I love one thing that I love about my crazy family <laughs> is that no matter what it's, I love you. Right. I could be bitching at my mom on the phone. Cause she's pissed me off. And at the end of the call, it's going to be okay. Love you. Bye. You know what I mean? And I, I love that. And I'm the same way with my children. I mess with them, you know, I tell them all the time that they're adopted and I tell them all the time that they're like crazy and weird or they smell funny, (laughs) but every single day I tell them that they are smart. Every single day I tell them that they are beautiful and that they're my favorite children. You know, Henley's my favorite six-year-old and Marley's my favorite eight-year-old and like it's so important for that to be expressed. And I don't think that that's what makes them think I'm weird. It's, it's like all the other weird things that I do, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, but regardless of what kind of day you guys have or any disagreements, they're still going to know that there's love there. Yeah. 100%. And I, I, they better know that or I'll beat them. (laughs) I like, I love them. I love them so much. And they're just like, I mean, the coolest kids ever. And it was really hard, you know, to be depressed and have such amazing children. My kids are funny. Like, no child has ever made me laugh the way that my kids make me laugh. And their sense of humor is just so my dad, which, you know, (laughs) makes me love them even more because he's like one of my favorite people. And I would just think like, dang, why do I want to die you know why do I want to lay in bed and not ever get out of it when I have these amazing children and then I realize like they don't have anything to do with it they don't have anything to do with me being sad I mean sometimes (laughs) Marley is definitely a teenager but like they're everything and I still didn't feel like it was enough you know what I mean and and that's normal that's okay Mm -hmm. And I feel like better, but you know, there's moments where I fail. I mean, there's moments that I fail, you know, and that's okay too. And they know that. And I say, sorry, I say, sorry when I fail and that's okay. That's another thing that is similar to Kendra's podcast. So I'm glad that it's maybe an, our generation thing is normalizing, apologizing to your kids. Yeah. And I love that. And I will always preach that. Um, I don't, yell at Jameson really I mean because he looks at me like I'm an asshole anyways like (laughs) I don't know what no means so I'm gonna need you to lower your voice (laughs) right he really doesn't get told no unless it's like a safety thing like if I'm just trying to get his attention for the 2.5 seconds it takes me to get my ass off the couch over to the outlet he's about to stick something in right I just need a no to get him to pause right (laughs) but otherwise he doesn't really get told no um, but as he gets older and I know I can see it in this child, um, <laughs> that he's going to test the Jesus in me. Yeah. Um, I just really want to be like prepared to apologize when I raise my voice or when I'm wrong or I make a mistake. Yeah. 
Yeah, because, you know, I mean, they give us attitude, right? But mm-hmm. we're not expected to, like, have one back. And that's one thing, like, I do with my kids. I have attitude back. <laughs> and because why are you talking to me like that, first of all? I don't like it. And, you know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but if I'm wrong, you know, me and Henley, probably four times a day we have to apologize to each other. We go around that little girl (laughs) she is so hard and I love her so much but in my best Tennessee accent she is bad as hell (laughs) and um she knows it but you know my kids we say it I said well I was the same way I didn't tell my kids no for a really long time they get older you have to yell at them you have to discipline them you have to and you don't know what you're doing right like Maybe spanking Henley wasn't the best thing that I could have done in this situation. So I'm sorry for that. But I'm learning. You know what I mean? Like, I've never been a mom to Henley at this age before. And let me tell you, it's hard. (laughs) You know? Like, never been a mom to Marley at this age. And it's freaking hard. And they're so different from each other. So everything that worked with Marley, not one single thing works with Henley. So I have to readjust and I'm learning and I'm building and hey you guys are gonna get the shit into that stick sometimes but oh well I'm sorry but well just like you said how they give you attitude so you give it right back on the flip side kids are like never allowed to have bad days we as adults will have a bad day and we're just we're a dick all day to everyone we meet we give attitude our husband comes home we're like what are you looking at why are you breathing in the kitchen near me kids aren't ever allowed to just have a bad day or we're like what's your issue what's your malfunction you know so kind of on the flip like you might give them attitude back but at the same time we have to try to give our kids grace like they might be having a shit moment and that's cool it's fine yeah, and you know what? I Where I learned this, and this is the craziest thing. So Michael doesn't have children. He's never been married or anything. And so I think when I initially started dating him, I was like, oh, he, what is he going to tell me about parenting? I've been doing this, you know? And um, he, does, he taught me a lot with Henley, too, you know? And he kind of introduced me to that, what you just said. You know, she she's having a moment. Let's talk her through it. Let's not scream at her. Let's not spank her. Let's not discipline her for having feelings that she can tell me what they are, you know? And if she can't tell me what they are right away, let's let her think it out. And then we could get back to it. And that was something that I learned from him that I have implemented. Well, I try my hardest to implement every day in my parenting. Um, and it helps us all, I think. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, that was one of the very first things I noticed about Michael was the po- the pictures that you would post of them were always him with your girls. It was never like these cheesy, like, me with Bay, you know, like, <laughs> on the date night and stuff. It was always him with your kids, and your kids in the pictures, you could tell, really responded to him. Yeah, they respond to him so well. I mean, I, in our dynamic, as far as, like, all of our parenting goes, because you know me and Chad co-parent really well, mm-hmm. I think I'm the mean one, right? Chad is the pushover. Ariana is, <laughs> if you ask the girls, the meaner one, but really she's not. She's not mean to my kids. She just doesn't mess around with their games. You know, they're used to being at their dad's and getting whatever they want. And then Michael is the level-headed one. Really, I mean, he, and even though we're not like a together together, you know, he is the level-headed parent out of all four of us. And 
can do those things and get responses out of Henley that nobody else can and get Marley to, you know, kind of show a little bit more love than she normally does. And I love that. And it was something that I was really scared of when I left Chad, because as everybody who's on my Facebook knows, I mean, my life is not private whatsoever. I didn't date, what was it, two or three years after I met Chad? Like, I didn't even date anybody. I didn't want anybody around. I didn't want anybody to tell me how to parent or to yell at my children or, you know, and so when I found him and he doesn't really yell, I mean, he's never had to raise his voice at my kids. And I, I tell him all the time, I'm like, beat them, you know? And he's like, I don't have to, cause they respond. And that is exactly what it is. And I loved that about him. And in the long run, you know, something that I, I always keep in my mind because I don't want to set too many expectations for my future. Um, even if all we end up is as friends, is friends, like, He's always going to have that bond with my kids. And I mean, I would like to think that my judgment wasn't so bad with him that like, I can't ever have a friendship with him anymore or anything like that. You know, same with Chad. I, I've just really <laughs> ended relationships a lot differently now than I used to, I think. But yeah, I, like the kids love him and I love him. So that's really good. And, I, you know, he's really helped a lot with like my mental health in he doesn't know that all the time. And I don't want him to know that all the time, <laughs> but like little things that he flat out said, like, I'm not going to put up with this or this isn't okay. You know, it's okay to feel the way you're feeling, but it's not okay to react the way that you're reacting is kind of where I was like, okay, like, let me really get help, you know, and got on medication. And I truly feel like had I gotten on my medication before we split up, we would probably still be together because we're practically together now and it's way better than it could have ever been in the beginning. And it's like, man, I wish I wouldn't have wasted a year and a half on that. Yeah, him setting those boundaries with you is such a mature and healthy response. Cause you can tell he really, um, he knows his self-worth. He yeah. knows that he's not about to be treated this way and he knows you're going through some shit and that's okay. But I don't have to be the punching bag for that. Yeah. Yes, and he definitely knows his self-worth, and I think, um, <laughs> where, I, and I, I tend to wonder if this is how guys have felt when they dated me, because I always knew my self-worth, and I always felt like, you know, I don't want to say, oh, I'm better than you, but I did kind of feel that way, you know, because you should feel that you're better than people sometimes, and I, it's intimidating how much he knows his self-worth, and I didn't like that at first, I'm like, why does he why is he right? You know? And so then I think I took it as, and this played into my depression a little bit too, or like into my questioning our relationship, you know, um, him knowing his self-worth so strongly was like, well, am I not worth that too? Because that's our human nature, right? Like if, if I say, oh, Savannah's pretty, somebody's going to be like, you don't think I'm pretty too? Like, it's weird that we do that, but his, confidence was very intimidating to me at first I like to remind him you know that he isn't all that but <laughs> he you know well I'm I'm jealous of his self-worth of <laughs> self-love I've never yeah. met Michael but we should all strive to love ourselves like Michael loves himself yeah for sure put that on a t-shirt love yourself like michael like michael oh my god he his head is too big already please do not cut this out of this no i'm just kidding <laughs> michael um, listening we've already branded your t-shirt <laughs> yeah no and i you know i do love his self-worth and he's I mean, he always tells me like don't question yourself so much and 
I've really had to learn to love myself through everything. And he knows that he's not perfect. And he knows that, you know, he's, I always tell him he's like borderline sociopathic because he doesn't feel anything. But um, he knows that, you know, he's got flaws too and he loves himself through it and he's willing to work on those flaws. And that's where I'm like, okay, like I could do it too. And I always thought like me being on medication was going to mean something was wrong with me. And he kind of um, helped me with that too. Like, no, this is just what's going to make your moods better. Like it will just take away what's wrong with us probably. Yeah, and it has. That he was accepting of it. Yeah. And he wants to learn. I mean, he's massive ADD, so it's like I have to talk to him about it in little little tidbits. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, he he is great, and he's helped me a lot through my depression. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I need. I think I needed somebody. And it wasn't just him, you know. I mean, everybody that loves me has been, like, a huge support system. Chad, too, you know. He, and he, Chad was the one who was like, listen, go to therapy. It's not as embarrassing as you would think. And I've had to do it for multiple things. And, you know, so everybody in my life is like a huge support system. It, it's been difficult being in Tennessee going through it, but I'm glad that I am because I can't like lean on too many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right, girl. Well, thank you <laughs> for sitting down with me. I loved getting to just catch up with you and I, learned some new things about you I thought I knew the whole Sam (laughs) it's nice to see um see the raw side and the side that's not happy all the time and the side that just wants to lay in bed and sleep and it definitely makes me feel more normal I feel more bonded to you knowing that we both have days like that and that's okay yeah thank you for having me I think it is super important to like make people feel that way. And I've always strived to make the people that I love feel confident and comfortable in who they are, even if it's not societal norm. And you are super important to me. And I want you to talk to me about these things, you know, and I'm glad you got to see this side of me because, you know, everybody thinks I'm perfect. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes me love you more knowing that we go through the same shit and you have hard days too. You're not just always happy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would love to, I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your, all your podcasts are so good, by the way, like so good. And I want to hear more about it and even maybe be on again or whatever, you know, because I love talking yeah. to you. Yes, for sure. Um, At like an hour, I looked at the timer and I was like, oh my gosh, it's already been an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I can't believe it. But it's great just even to see you. I feel like we talk, but to like actually get to sit down and catch up about things is great it is great and it feels like it hasn't changed like I know we've changed but like I I love these types of relationships where I feel comfortable talking to you and like I don't think I'm much different you know oh god I wish you would have come to the reunion because I really wasn't when we're not recording anymore I'll have to tell you how funny some of the stuff was but like I you know this vibe is still here and I love that yeah me too I hope you enjoyed meeting Sam. And if you knew Sam before, you don't know this Sam. This Sam is a beautiful work in progress with bad days, and that's okay. And I'm so appreciative to her for opening up and showing us that side. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.